Microphone check. One, two. CC. Hello and welcome at CC. Hello and welcome at one, two, three, four, five, six. She sells seashells by the seashore. She sells seashells by the seashore. There we go. Rolling. It's almost like you go to a festival and suddenly five years or three years you worked in your job and almost lost your mind trying to get it done. And it's almost like all, all that disappears when you show your film to an audience. It's kind of like, there's just this feeling, I can't describe it. It's almost like the cure, you know? It just makes you feel, you know, that it's worth, worth something. You don't even think about the sales or all that. It's just like you actually, someone like a, like a festival said, come show your film, we like it. And that is, I think for filmmakers is everything. Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life, a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 80. And it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of Documentary Film, The Documentary Life Podcast, and The Documentary Academy, our industry-changing A to Z documentary filmmaking program that will transform you into the documentary filmmaker that you've always wanted to be. Find out more at thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. It was about a year ago that we ran a very special two-parter on the film festival for the documentary filmmaker. The idea was to kind of pull back the curtains of a documentary film festival, in this case the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, and see how they operated and how the doc filmmaker could best leverage the power of a film festival to propel their films and careers forward. Lyndon Stone, the festival director of MDFF, he guided us through this part of our discussion in the two episodes. While two doc filmmakers who had films being shown at the festival, they gave us their insight and inspiration from the perspective of the doc filmmaker. The show was immensely popular. In fact, at the time, we had a record number of downloads from it. We received a lot of positive response from our listeners, from you guys, and it opened up a ton of discussion on the Documentary Life Community Facebook group. And while we were overjoyed that the shows were resonating with you, Doc Lifers, I do have to say we weren't all that surprised by the positive response to the content. We doc filmmakers, we've always known the power and potential of getting our films into these festivals, but we certainly haven't known the particulars of this, or at the very least, how to get our films into certain festivals. So we felt that our special would offer some pretty unique first-hand and kind of under-the-hood accounts of what goes into a film festival, why they're important to the doc filmmaker, and what we can be doing that will give us the best chance of being accepted into these festivals. And so we've decided to do it again this year. MDFF is only two weeks away, and it seemed like a great time to revisit this kind of open discussion between the gatekeeper of a doc film festival and those who had been fortunate enough to be granted access to the castle, if you will. And so when we come back from a quick break, we'll get right into part one of this year's two-part special on the Documentary Film Festival by once again reconnecting with our good friend Lyndon Stone, the festival director of MDFF. And then we'll meet with the first of two doc filmmakers that we'll be talking with for our special. His name is Tony Ziera. His doc is called Filmworker. 
and you are really going to love what Tony has to say. Unexpectedly, my conversation with Tony turned into one of the most real and candid discussions on living the doc life that we've yet had on the program. All of this is coming up next on The Documentary Life. I'm excited to welcome back to the program, actually the next two programs, Lyndon Stone, the festival director of Melbourne Documentary Film Festival. If either one of those ring a bell, that uh, that would be because of almost exactly a year ago today, we released a two-part special on documentary film festivals, in particular highlighting MDFF, Melbourne Documentary Film Festival. And we spoke with Lyndon in both episodes, as well as two filmmakers, two doc filmmakers who will be in the festival. And we are doing the same this year. Lyndon, welcome back to the program. It's great to have you on. I'm excited to to investigate film festivals again and, and talk with you about what's happening at MDFF. Yeah, great. It's nice to chat, Chris, and congratulations on success of your podcast. Hearing like 80,000 downloads and yeah, it looks like you're doing very, very well. So congratulations. We're, we're excited by that. Absolutely. We know that we have a, um, we know that we have quality content and we have some great guests on the show. Yeah. And for us... Um, for us, it's just about getting the word out there because we do believe that there is a lot of value um, for documentary filmmakers out there with, with this show. Lyndon, right. last year's special was such a success that we decided to do something similar yes. this year, as you know, and have another two-parter. Right. So, you know, I, let's get right into it, really. Now, this is the third or sure. fourth year for, for you guys. What year third, are we into with the MDFF? Yeah. yeah, it's the third year. So still kind of like a startup kind of um, film festival, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's doing ex- extremely well. Like, um, I don't know if you looked at the uh, the program, but some amazing documentaries. So it's every year just gets better and better, oh, yeah. and the curation gets you know just so sharp, and we get access to some of the, the best docs from some of the best film festivals. We're very very lucky, yeah. So Lyndon. Tell us for for any first time listeners that are out there that maybe didn't hear last year's two part special. Tell us what MDFF, what your guys' sure. mission is all about. Briefly, how you came to be and who this festival exactly is for. Okay, it's a it's a very good question, Chris. I guess the aim is to support independent uh, documentary filmmaking, particularly in Australia, Melbourne, and also the world. So. It's basically kind of um, barracking for the you know the indie filmmaker um, to uh, to be able to showcase a film in a, in a competitive setting. Yeah, so I mean, since we started, uh, you know, uh, three years ago, it's just been you know exponential growth in terms of uh, you know audience numbers and um, you know just experimenting with different things. Like we, we're the first down under to do web series. We did documentary photography as mm. a as a competitive. Um, a category um so playing around with a genre of documentary being playful being mindful of um uh, the genre but also making it more accessible to people you know it, it does skew a little bit younger than other film festivals so it's trying to kind of broaden the audience of documentary making documentaries fun and at the base of that and the base of a lot of melbourne film festivals is short documentary and i guess over the last three years we've seen this exponential growth of short documentary short form documentary get to the point of the story and, you know, it's great to see it, you know, put back in IDFA now as a category, like short documentaries now being put into, you know, IDFA as a competitive um, category, which is great to see. Yeah. And it's really driven a lot by things like Vice, Guardian, Vox, and those kind of things. So we've kind of seen this exponential growth. It wasn't like that three years ago, but it's no. certainly, you know, 
Uh, we've seen this amazing growth in, in short documentary and it's great to, to see kind of documentary become cool, you know, it's less bookish and nerdish. And <laughs> you're seeing, um, you know, things like IDFA putting like DJs on and Copenhagen Docs putting DJs on. And this kind of, um, I don't know, it's kind of this renaissance of documentary as a, as a genre. So it's, it's great yeah. to see it kind of becoming, you know, not so much mainstream, but more appreciated for being, you know, something that is innovative and cool and not say pretentious, but something yeah. more accessible that, you know, young people can get into. And, um, yeah, people can enjoy, you know, a good documentary uh, on its merits. So um, it's just trying to make it um, more accessible to an audience. Yeah. And amen for that. And, and you know, speaking of audience, I remember that we yeah. discussed a little bit last year. We talked about for you the part of the importance of course filmmaker was you know one of the priorities the doc filmmaker but also something that yeah. was important for you was that you felt like festivals were well theater goer theater goers as st- statistics will tell you are dropping and they've been dropping for a couple of few yeah. years now people are watching their films in many other ways they're watching it from their laptops they're watching it from the comforts of their yeah. home and for you you wanted to be able to create an experience to get people to come out to the theater again do you feel like you're That's having right. any success yeah. with that Oh, yes. Yes, very much so. And like you say, a lot of people are like, you know, Netflix is, you know, killing off the film festival circuit or, you know, you know, I'm of the opinion that it probably makes it more segmented. You know, it just makes things a little bit more interesting. Like, I mean, if anything was going to kill the film festival circuit, it would have been Vimeo YouTube. People just uploading <laughs> right. stuff for free. But it hasn't come to pass, has That's it really? Right. And so it just it just makes things, I guess, more segmented. Um, you have to be a bit more savvier. But I think if you're looking at documentary as a genre, there's always kind of niches or fan bases that you can call upon. I mean, the George Michael documentary is almost sold out. There's a lot of George Michael fans in Melbourne, which is great to see. Um, the Stanley Kubrick documentary, it's, it's um, sung very well as well. And so, you know, we've got that exclusive kind of uh, premiere in Melbourne. So That's right. I guess it comes back to exclusive premieres like Melbourne, Australia. So if you've got that kind of cachet or if you've got that behind you right then all your ducks are in a row kind of everything kind of falls into place so as long as you've got these kind of tentpole kind of documentaries you know it all kind of as a kind of program kind of all kind of plays off each other and all kind of um comes together in, in a way so um it is interesting it is challenging don't get me wrong but um <laughs> you know i don't think it's insurmountable you know so you have to rise to the occasion Lyndon, I'm curious, what has changed for you in terms of your approach with the festival? Now that you're in your third year, what's changed since, say, even before your first screenings, the first year that you were putting this together? What has changed, if anything, about your approach and the film festival? Well, it's probably, I mean, I've been doing work like in the film industry for coming about nine years and stuff right, like right. that. In terms of film festivals and hearing what film makers want from a film festival i think it's important i think the, the particularly obviously there's the international film festivals but there's these emerging film festivals like melbourne documentary which are competitive in nature and i think probably you know where we would like to get to um at a point and you know uh, in further editions there's probably getting to a point where you know where we look to do a screening fee like pay the filmmaker for their work or and or bring them out to Melbourne. So I right. think that's something that a lot of film festivals don't do. 
I think it's probably something that we should move towards in the future, maybe making the festival a little bit shorter, but the filmmakers get like a screening fee for their work or they come out to Melbourne. Um, so just listening to filmmakers and, and, you know, a lot of film festivals don't do that, but I think that's the right thing to do. And mm. I think that's the thing about this festival. It always does the right thing. You know, when, when the Sony hat came out about the uh, woman in film, we were one of the first film festivals to, you know, to make sure that's a priority, you know, it's the right thing to do. It wasn't like fashionable to do at the time, but it was just the right thing to do. And I oh, think right. that is the right thing to do with competitive film festivals to get to a point where, you know, you do something like if you are using a, a screen in the future, maybe looking at a screening fee or those kind of things moving forward. So that's something I like to kind of move towards yeah. with the film festival, make it, maybe make it a little bit shorter, but people either get flown out or they get like a screening fee for their time. And as I say, many festivals don't do that. No. A lot of filmmakers have to ask for that kind of stuff. And I'm just that's doing right. this kind of feedback going, this is what we can do to improve, 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 and make it better and better and better. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that's some ideas I've got, you know, moving forward um, in terms of um, – reforming competitive film festivals i think that that would be the right thing to do by the filmmaker moving forward yeah you know it's interesting that you would you would talk about that and talk about your approach and and i i feel like i picked up on that for sure as a documentary filmmaker myself i felt like after talking with you and putting the episodes together last year that mdff is certainly a festival that i would like to to be a part of i mean you know certainly as a filmmaker and, and 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 certainly on the show having you back here again because i I, I believe in what you guys are doing at MDFF. Yeah. But more than that, you know, we I yeah. spoke with Tony Ziera, filmmaker Tony Ziera, who's who is also going to be a part of this special, and his film Film Worker is going to be playing MDFF. And I have to say, Lyndon, he spoke quite glowingly about you and about what MDFF is doing. And part of what he was saying when he described why he was so happy to be a part of MDFF was that he felt like Unlike a number of his other uh, film festival experiences, MDFF was very hands-on, and they were very uh, compassionate and empathetic yeah. towards the doc filmmaker. And he really appreciated the amount of contact yeah. that was going back and forth between you guys. And uh, I know that he's certainly somebody who's happy to be a part of MDFF. Yeah, he's um, he's a lovely guy. He's like, um, as I say, it's a, it's a big title. It's a runaway hit in North America. Um, and to be able to, to show it in Melbourne is, is a big honor. And um, yeah, he's just such a nice guy about it. You know, he was you know, um, you know, just happy to let us show his work and doesn't nothing, no talk of screening fees or being flown out. He just said, look, if you like it, it's yours, you know, kind of wanted to help us <laughs> yeah. out. And I was really uh, taken by that. You know, he, he also did a documentary, your, your Big Break or Your First Big Break. Of course. Like so, you know, I think for him, he's he's had breaks in the past and I think he's kind of paying it forward in a way. So, mm. um, yeah, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a nice thing for him to do and obviously Excellent. very emotionally intelligent guy. His, proje- his producing partner, Elizabeth Yoff, is interesting as well. She did The Chocolate War and has done work with David Lynch and, you know, um, this work on Leon Vitale, the, the film right. work and stuff like that. So they've got an interesting body of work and they seem like they're, they're you know, true blue documentary filmmakers, you know. So, um, and, uh, and they understand and compassionate about the film festivals and what they're doing here. At this point, Lyndon, how much are you reaching out to filmmakers versus filmmakers are, are reaching out to you to apply for MDFF, this being your third year? Well, there's a lot of people that, um, you know, talk to us. Like, they, they, they approach us. The majority of people approach us. But yes. there are ones like, you know, sometimes, like Dawn, for example, we did Risking Light. We talked to her back at crowdfunding stage, you know, so having a chat to 
um, and then like we've we've been you know f- uh, friends with like Tony on you know Twitter for you know a year and a bit. So yeah. so we got to chat to them you know over time, just having that kind of dialogue. But to be honest, the majority of people approach us. So be like you know, yeah. hey, here's this documentary from South by Southwest. I'd love to screen it. It's usually always at the last minute too. They said, love to come to your film festival. I was like, ah, oh, we're pretty much already really picked everything, you know. So it's kind of it's hard, but you do get a lot of people oh, approaching you about screening and. Um, yeah, so so that's the majority of where people come. But with the competitive film festivals now, you can actually invite people. Like in the film submission, you can actually send emails out to people to invite them to apply. Mm. Um, you know, Film Freeway, you can invite people to apply. You can give them a discount. So it's kind of having this two-way kind of relationship. But to be fair, a lot of filmmakers actually contact us. Yeah, yeah right, so right. majority of where our contact comes from, yeah. Now, a, a big part of what we talk about here, because we're speaking directly to doc filmmakers, and they want to understand how the yeah. film festival uh, process works, so whether it's selection, whether how film yeah. festivals are built or put together, sure. or who someone like yourself is, a director. Yeah. And so as part of that discussion, sure. I'm curious, as, as, so we perhaps we can add to that discussion from maybe last year. And so I guess I would ask you, sure. has, there been, has there been anything new that you could think of and maybe think of, and this is either, either from the festival director's perspective or perhaps from the doc filmmaker's perspective, is there anything new maybe in the past year that has come up in regards to film festivals that you feel like doc filmmakers might want to know about? Well, what about you, you, Chris, when you're a filmmaker, what, what yeah. do you find with film festivals that you want more information about or you don't quite understand? What, what, do, you, what do you feel from your, your perspective? Well, that's, um, I mean, that's, that that's an interesting question because, uh, to be honest, I feel like <clears throat> having conversations with you even, you know, a year ago um, and, and certainly having email exchanges since that time and getting feedback from um, other listeners of the program, uh, mm. you know, I feel like, You've answered, well, it's less about that you've answered all of my questions and more like I felt like something that was really beautiful that came out of last year's special was by combining this episode where we, you know, where I talked with filmmakers who were at your particular film festival and then I talked to you, the festival director behind that festival. I really felt like we were giving a more rounded and a deeper sort of, or an under the under the hood, if you will, mm. um, understanding, you know, of how a festival works and mm. and how a doc filmmakers um, like ourselves, how, how that whole world works. And I felt like there was a lot of a lot of light that was shed during that time. And so I guess I'm curious yeah. if in now this being your third yeah. year as the festival director. Um, a year has gone by yeah. since the last time we yeah. spoke for this. If there's anything that's come up that you could think of that might um, doc filmmakers might want to know in terms of whether it's submitting their films um, to festivals, whether it's the types of festivals they should be submitting to, or you know anything about strategies, um, anything that you think that might help us that we might not be aware of, in particular because maybe we're, we are not a part of a festival such as yourself. Well, that's the thing. I guess in a lot of filmmakers coming through, uh, quite a lot of like first-time filmmakers, or you know, they haven't got um, like a sales agent or a distributor in uh, the Australian context. So, for me, it's good to be able to educate people like Tony about, hey, these are the big major players in terms of distribution. Um, 
you know, when we do the screening, we don't just do the screening. We do help filmmakers out in terms of, you know, uh, you know, leads for distribution or, um, you know, different festivals they can submit to, you know, open-air cinema. We do make suggestions to them about festival strategy in Australia because we know Australia and New Zealand very well. And so, and they don't. So they're the asymmetry of information. So we generally try to help the filmmaker on their side to help them. Um, like for Dawn, for example, I'd love to see her picked up by SBS or NITV about Ab- Aboriginal uh, issues. I'd love to, and I'd love to see it play in Tasmania, close to Deborah Hawking's uh, friends and family. There's a few festivals down in Tasmania. So I've been talking to, you know, uh, Dawn about that. Um, but it is, uh, you know, it is this kind of, um, they come to you for screening and sometimes, you know, you can get that extra added value by offering help with, and we, we, we work with a lot of distributors, Umbrella, mm. we work with Antidote Films, um, you know, uh, some of the major players in Bounty Entertainment, you know, they're looking for, for documentary as well. But it's to, to help people to, to get their films out there. And obviously, you know, particularly for first-time filmmakers, a non-exclusive contract's probably the way to go, like probably mm. having it on Vimeo, maybe Amazon Prime, um, you know, other kind of ways to get their film out, particularly the first when it's just starting out, and then probably after that, probably going to an exclusive kind of arrangement with right. the major players and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I guess it's kind of just giving them the information about which festivals in Australia are good. Um, yeah. There's not too many documentary film festivals down under these days, That's so it's right. about you know just kind of educating them and then distributors and stuff. But um, yeah, it's just kind of getting back to the, those kind of qualities of, of respect and and helping the filmmaker out, and you know, it's not just a screening we just really want them to do well and you know really want them to go on to play at other festivals a lot of people have been inquiring about the george michael documentary in australia so that's good to see the, the so the people have been telling me go oh we're so glad it was in your set list and all these films festivals approached us so you know a lot of people do look at what we choose like a lot of curators they like our style even the, the broadcasters sbs and abc have actually contacted some of the short filmmakers so People go, well, what's the point of doing the film? It's really getting it out there and uh, putting yourself out there and connecting with, um, you know, a greater audience out there. So, um, and it actually does that. So, and then uh, a great example of that is is a, a guy called um, Mark. He's an Australian filmmaker. Some Indian um, producers saw that he'd done some sports documentaries and actually flew him out to India to film, you know, a documentary about American gridiron in India. So oh, wow. it was just because he was on our website. And then also SBS and ABC had taken him out as well. We also managed to do a screening in India as well, on top of what we normally do. No money changes hands. It's just more trying to get the filmmaker out there. Yeah. Um, but he went to that, and it was at the uh, Mumbai International Film Festival. Oh, fantastic. Uh, which is actually a pretty good festival for, sh- for short film makers. So, um, right, right, um, right. Yeah, so that's really exciting. So as you know, similar to last year, we have two filmmakers who are excited to be a part of your festival. Tony Ziera of Filmworker and and Don Mickelson of Risking Light. Let's talk about Tony first and I and and, and maybe it's I just recently sure. spoke with him and his his uh, his documentary film Filmworker is about Leon Vitali yeah. um, of Stanley Kubrick fame. Yeah. Tell us about yeah. um what was it for you um, that uh, that was interesting or drew you to Tony and his work, and in particular, of course, film worker. How did Tony and his film end up well, at MDFF? That's the thing. Like we we're big Kubrick fans um, at the festival, so um, we managed to get a screener of it. Um, I ran it past my assistant festival director, who is James. He's done an amazing amount of work. He's a great guy. 
he had a look at it and he was just blown away by it, you know, <laughs> by the, um, the scope and the way it's put together. Have you seen a screener of it yet? Oh, it's yes, of course, of course. It's so good. So they've done an amazing job on on telling the story. So I guess it came at that interest. But, you know, there are actually a few kind of documentaries on a similar kind of subject. But this one was of a very high quality, very well put together. It is. Um, there's a, you know, it's a um, well-constructed documentary. And so that got all the, you know, the green lights. And we're very lucky to get it. And I'm very thankful uh, for Tony to, to allow us to, to show it. And, um, yeah, I really hope that, you know, from there, you know, some kind of uh, like film societies or art house cinemas or other uh, festivals in Australia pick it up because it's a gem. It's a really great documentary. What for you in that film, um, in Film Workers, stood out for you that you felt like we have to have this at MDFF? And it could be the content. You mentioned being yeah. big Kubrick fans. Yeah. Obviously, it's more than that. So I'm curious if you could kind of get yeah. down in the weeds a little bit and tell us what it was exactly that made yeah. you say, this has got to be yeah, a part sure. of our programming. Well, it's a great acquisition. I guess it's kind of thinking of the audience. You know, who is the audience? Who's going to see that? And obviously, there's the, the Kubrick fans. But I think more often than not, the, the theme is a lot of people's theme. It's a lot of people in the film industry are film workers. You know, they're the uh, unsung heroes of That's right. Who, yeah. You know, it's their story. Leon Vitrolli's story is their story. And the same with Dawn's, you know, Risking Light. You know, a lot of people have gone through a lot of stuff in life. And I think, you know, they can overlay their own experience on these kind of films, whether it's a film worker as a kind of a um, person who works in the film industry or with, you know, Risking Light. You know, maybe there's some things in their own life that they can overlay with the documentary to help, you know, um, maybe resolve or to get some further questions or to get some further clarity on their own kind of aspects of life. So it's how the audience connect with the film. And both are great acquisitions because of that aspect, because they relate to an audience and then audience can in some way overlay their own life into the film because it does have that correlation, yeah. you know, because yeah. you, either you're like a film worker or, you know, you've had something that's maybe happened in your life and you, compassion can be a way to look at resolving that or to, to helping, um, you know, get to that point of resolution. So that's, that, those, those are why they're two good acquisitions, yeah. Over the last few years, as we've met and connected with more and more doc lifers, we've been asked what the most comprehensive doc filmmaking course out there is. The truth is, we didn't believe there was one. There are plenty of videos and some courses that walk you through some technical aspects of filmmaking and workshops that cover some of the business aspects, but there was nothing that specifically took the doc filmmaker through the whole actual doc filmmaking journey, both creative and business, from A to Z. That is, until we created one. The Documentary Academy is the only all-in-one online documentary film production course that actually starts from the beginning of your film's journey, from story conception, through pre-production and actual production, to post-production, and through to the promotions, marketing, and distribution of your film. The Academy will help you make your most successful documentary film by guiding you on the journey from conception to launch. But don't just take our word for it. Have a look for yourself by going to thedocumentarylife.com academy and discover everything that the Academy has to offer, including a video that takes you inside the Academy for a look around. The Documentary Academy has already greatly helped others realize their power and potential as doc filmmakers. Why not be the next person who brings an awesome documentary film to life? Head on over to thedocumentarylife.com slash academy today, and we'll see you there. 
Tony, I'm excited to have you on the program. I just recently watched Film Worker, which is the current film that uh, really allow, you're in the midst of doing the film festival circuit with this particular film. So um, excited to talk about Film Worker as well as your experience really with, uh, with film festivals in general as a doc filmmaker. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm excited to talk to you about it, too. Tony, you have an interesting story. Really, you have an interesting connection with Hollywood and how doc filmmaking came to be and certainly connections with maybe some names that people know in in Hollywood, if you will. Well, um, I guess it's maybe a typical story, but I was in L.A. and that was the place that I thought would be the ideal for making docs. Mm. And then I discovered that that wasn't the case because it's just like anywhere else. You still have to get the budget. You still have to find the right story um, and be able to survive getting it all done. And I think my beginning or my first project that I would say kind of got things going a bit and it w- wasn't easy. It was I was living with four uh, actors <laughs> and right. roommates. And um, and I really was so frustrated that I just couldn't uh, get my hands on um, any financing or uh, an agent, etc. You know, the the typical way that we all doc filmmakers think yeah. in the beginning that that's the way to do it. Yes. And uh, so, you know, after a long, um, you know, uh, evaluation in a sense, I felt like, well, this was like in 1998. Yeah, right. Reality, even TV, didn't exist. And I remember looking at my friends and I said, well, you know, I'm going to start filming them. They're actors. They want to be actors. Yeah. So they could practically star in this project, you know, and let's see where it goes. And if they, uh, if they fail in a sense of getting it going in Hollywood, I'll just like film them, you know, packing and going home. Totally. And so I filmed them for years, but I was lucky in the end because uh, three started working out of four, and that's kind of unusual sometimes, or uh, <laughs> all the time in LA. And um, and so then once, you know, when I when I started to film it, it was um, a bit like people said, like, who wants to watch actors living in one house? And <laughs> again, because this was the beginning of reality. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, I remember, I think it was like, all we had is the real world on MTV, but right. I wanted to make more of a doc, like a feature, yeah. you know, yeah, like yeah, a film. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I just jumped and I started to, you know, if I bought a little cameras and got film cameras and video cameras and built my own board and where I would mount all the cameras at the same time <sighs> and bikes and tried to improvise and kind of be like really super gorilla. I mean, yeah. it is, you know, you know what I mean? Oh, because yeah. <laughs> people always say, oh, you, you know, people always say like, well, oh, this film is independent and it's like it's only $10 million. And that's a yeah. joke because independent yeah. docs is like, you know, you work. $10. And you <laughs> a couple of exactly. And you go out and buy tape. That was at the time of tape. Yeah. And yeah. You just keep going bit by bit, you know. And and the film that you're referring to is My Big Break, and it, it's a wonderful yeah. film, and, and, and you have not even mentioned some of the actors' names, because that's part of the beauty of this, of course, because a couple of them became pretty well-known uh, in short order. Yeah. Um, what what format did you shoot My Big Break in, and did you change the format be, formats at all, because because you filmed for a while? Yes, because, um, uh, well, well, it was like if I was able to get my hand on it just a let's say a, a super eight film camera, yeah. I would 
use that for a while. And right. then I would I started to realize that I needed to do more coverage <laughs> and that film transfer was going to be very expensive. So now I would process the film and then I would uh, project it on the wall and then I would videotape it off the wow, wall and wow. then I would transfer it back to the system. It was always, you know, it, I think that is our motto in it with docs. It's like you do whatever you can. <laughs> to, never to, ending. Uh, to, yeah, and then I got my hands on a, on a high eight, and I shot on that. And then okay. I had some any camera that I could get my hands on, and if somebody would lend it to me for like a couple of days. Yeah. And then in the end, of course, it was about taking all these formats, and I think I ended up with about seven formats, and then taking them all back in the system. And back then, of course, you were stuck with Avid in a sense, which was very difficult because Avids were so expensive. Yeah. And that was even before Final Cut. Yeah. Kind of came into the picture, and it was. Um, you know, uh, feasible to at least get yourself uh, a final cut system and start editing. Right. So it was one of those things, you know, and at the end also festivals didn't project from digital. So I had to go get the money and, and go to 35 millimeter and show that at the festival. <laughs> so it was, it was really like a brutal, um, beginning uh, to your doc career. Seven years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, the reception of my my big break was pretty good. Well, see, what happened is, is that it was, originally it was carving out our name. Yeah. And that's the one that came out, and it went to Toronto. And when it premiered at Toronto, that's when things started to open up. Yeah. But unfortunately, I premiered it on September 10th, 2001. Right. And so I was supposed to sell the movie in the morning, and then the whole deal practically fell in the morning when the towers collapsed right. and the attacks happened. So that was another hit in the... <laughs> You know, yeah. a, a filmmaking hit, you know, yeah. that I just yeah. went back to L.A., broke again. And, and so then when I got back, I remember what I did. Um, and again, this goes with your theme of like, when you're a doc maker, you have to, whatever it takes, yeah. you just got to do it. And you're rolling and so with when the I punches. Got back, exactly, exactly. You roll with the punches. Well, then I, 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 you know, I sat down and I heard from a couple of distributors that said, you know, that. Now we didn't buy the film, but we could take it off your hands because, <laughs> you know, at least you'll have a movie out there. And even some suggested that I need to get the money to promote the doc and oh, not give me wow. money. I mean, it's really absurd. Wow. Disgusting. And so I, uh, yeah, it's tough, you know, and it, and it makes you practically lose your mind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, and I remember I decided in the last, you know, I kept thinking and I said, you know what, I'm going to incorporate what happened with me. Yes. Making carving. And I'm going to, create this other project my big break and i'm going to put what i shot in carving and cover also my own story in uh, in my big break mm. in a sense of like how this whole thing collapsed mm. and then i got it back together and also my friends uh you know once they made it they also fell in the same trap of you think you made it that you're home free and they also made mistakes and they lost you know some of them ended up filing bankruptcy and stuff so <sighs> big break shows you before, during, and after. Yeah. Uh, what happens when you get your break and you think, oh, you're you're all set. Right. And so we did that, and um, and I released it independently, and um, I released it myself actually, with oh. my partner Elizabeth Yaffe, who's also you know we're still producing together, yeah. and I think that is a huge key too, as you know, with having a partner or or someone or even yourself that is willing to kind of put on wear different hats in a sense. So. Yeah. Being, you got to be your own marketing person. You got to be your own camera person. Sound, name it. You have to. 
and you know you just keep going whatever events around you or wherever you wherever life takes you <laughs> exactly find a way to uh exactly. to keep telling stories so then of course you know i um i got back and um and i think it was 1999 and it was the same time that american beauty came out yeah. and i remember the eyes wide shot came out and everybody was anticipating the finale of Stanley Kubrick, and of course <laughs> the reviews were terrible. Yeah, you know, and and I became uh, more obsessed with that project, and I wanted to know what was really Kubrick up to. And so I knew that Leon Vitali, who was his assistant, and he was an actor before, right, was one of the closest people to him creatively. So he was on my list to film with. So I shot for about two years. Mm talking to different people and Leon was the last one on my list no then way. I went to LA yeah because he was the last because I wanted to keep him for last and like now I gained all this knowledge about Kubrick I wanted wow. to and then I'll get Leon on camera to tell his side of the story yeah. and to really find the truth and etc and um so I met him in LA and again I had the typical you know more of a perception that I thought I was going to someone's house who was an actor in Barry Lyndon. He was an eyes wide shot. He was a <laughs> well-known actor, especially in England, because Absolutely. as he said in Film Worker, you know, he was uh, almost in every cop show you could think of yeah. too at the time. Yeah. Um, and uh, when I got there, I couldn't believe in Hollywood that this guy, who I believed really would be, um, how would you say, really part of film history. Yes. Because he's been, he's done almost everything you could think of when it comes to cinema, whether it was editing, cinematography, sound, I mean, he just worked in every field with Kubrick, who right. was the ultimate taskmaster and the amazing genius that we all love. <laughs> and, um, you know, and I was surprised that Leon was just living in this house alone. He wasn't working. And that kind of intrigued me. I was like, it's almost like I related to Leon in a sense of like, oh, yeah, I'm you sure. could be doing so much and no one cared. Oh, I'm sure. And, and so I was like, this is a great story. I went back to Elizabeth, uh, my partner, and I said, you know, <laughs> I know we're doing the Kubrick one right now, but this guy's story is like really needs to be told, yeah. especially, you know, because of all the below the line yeah. uh, film workers in the world that never get recognized. That's right. But again, you hit the same wall. And I said, but we're already doing one and I can't even like handle one. Let alone <laughs> another one on top of it. Yeah. So how did you handle that? Uh, well, I remember she came to me like two days later and she said, you know, you're going to regret not doing it. Uh. And, um, and so again, we're all like, you know, it's all about the passion. So we said, let's do it. And we just jumped on it. I put the Kubrick project aside wow. because Leon's health wasn't that great when we met and yeah. I wanted to finish it. I think I was almost on a mission yeah. to tell that story as fast as possible, mm. get it out there mm. and have Leon be honored. That was just the, the only image in my mind that was that, was to show the film to people, you know? Dear Leon, thank you for your great talent, energy, and kindness, sincerely, Stanley. People who met him for the first time would always come out saying, Oh, geez, nothing like what I've heard about. I know the real Stanley Kubrick. What Leon did was a kind of crucifixion of himself. 30 years he spent with Stanley Kubrick. They were inseparable. 
I was doing theatre, television, prestige, costume dramas, BBC, one-off plays, cop dramas, sitcoms. I shocked you, didn't I? A phone call came through and my agent told me, you've got the role in Stanley Kubrick's picture. Can you imagine? Ah, oh, can you imagine? I almost passed out. Leon was a spirit, the apprentice, that all of a sudden one day became the master with all the answers. Daddy, you gotta listen to Stanley. Look scared. Look back, look back. Left Danny, turn right. Look around now. Hesitate. He was my acting coach. Come and play with us, Danny. It wasn't even in the script that they were twins. I was just looking for someone who was good. And he looked at me and just said, well, it's no question, is it? Stanley assigned Leon to me. Sir, no, sir! Are you a Peter Pepper? Beat it up, beat it up, fast, fast, fast. If it wasn't for Leon Vitale, I doubt I would have done half the job. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Oh yeah, there was just so much to do. Leon was always working. It was like, pow, pow, pow. Stanley never trusted anybody. He just did. Everything had to be to the millimeter. It is your responsibility to make sure they understand exactly what you want. Inventory, timing sheet, trailer, translation, lab work, color time, layout. I don't know how to do layouts. Sure you do. These are from Eyes Wide Shut. I'm playing eight different people. When somebody would say to Stanley, I'd give my right arm to work for you, he would kind of smile because I actually think he thought, well, why are you lowballing me? What, just the right arm? I wanted, I wanted to be with Stanley, work with Stanley, do all that stuff. I just wanted to. So it's a happy ending? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Sometimes as doc filmmakers, when we are sort of in the trenches on on a, a, a particular project for a long, long time, sometimes mm. something else comes along that draws our attention momentarily, and suddenly we put all our energies and interest into that, and, and, and it's fast and furious, and it's do this project as quickly as possible. Um, partly because you love the idea and you want to do it, but then you know you have to get back to your other project, but it ends up really helping out the other project as well. It's like a yeah, I would say it's a yes and no, because I've also, there were times when, and, and I've had friends that they changed their mind every week Oh man, about doing something else, oh, which, yeah. you know, that also could be brutal. So, but you're but you're absolutely correct. Certain things come in, and you kind of go, "There is no way I'm going to walk away from this." Yeah. So it depends on the project and the thought, but you also have to kind of be level-headed in a way and go, "All right, is this the right decision?" Or, but it's all a gamble. It's you're always taking risks with docs. Yeah. Or with filmmaking in general. In general, especially if you're independent. Yeah. So you you but again, you know what? There's something deep inside of you that says. You know, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and you just go with it, you know. You, it's almost like you have to trust your instincts in a sense, too, you know. So that's, yeah, yeah that's what really happened with this one. So I could actually <laughs> talk about any number of subjects with you, uh, Tony, when it comes to doc filmmaking. I, I do feel a, a, a kindred spirit in many ways, and I think a lot of our Thank listeners you. probably do as well. So I think we, we, we're going to have to get you back on the program again sometime, Tony, to, okay. to further explore your doc life, I'll tell you that much. Um, but a Thank primary you. focus uh, of, of, of these episodes of this two-part series is the film festival, um, as seen yeah. uh, from the eyes of a doc filmmaker like yourself. Film Worker is currently uh, in the midst of its Film Fest circuit. What is, um, including MDFF, Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, 
Uh, what has your, and tell me early on, early on, what was your experience like as a doc filmmaker? What was your experience like with film festivals? Well, they are our gate to, in, in, into the world. Like, uh, you know, festivals are the place that you don't need an agent to get into. You don't need a sale to get into. And um, that happened with me. And obviously, we're going to, you know, as you know, we, we will show the film that was going to be our first place in Australia mm. at the Melbourne Film Festival. Mm. And right before that was, um, you know, the important one also like that was Cannes. And that was the, the, the focus at the time, which is to finish, get Leon to go to just one show yeah. so we can be there and just be acknowledged. And, uh, of course, the first one was Cannes, so we did got them there. And, and it, you know, with festivals, it's also costly to get everybody there That's and get, right. you know, do the transfers and all that stuff. But again, you know, there are some festivals that really kind of jump in and give you a hand and shepherd a project or a filmmaker. And but I've also been to some of them that kind of could be like you'd be lost in the shuffle. Mm. And but like what I could, I see that clearly, like with Melbourne. I can even see you see the communication online with the emails and the, you know when when we discuss things that they're really hands on yeah and and you always appreciate that when you work with a festival mm. like that mm-hmm. um, and Ken was also the same way and we we got Leon there and he had a five minute standing ovation and people were in tears because of his journey his children embraced him and felt like you know they saw what their dad has done his whole life. And that's just always the beauty, you know, is like you just, it's almost like you go to a festival and suddenly five years or three years you worked on your dock and you almost lost your mind trying to get it done. <laughs> and it's almost like all, all that disappears when you show your film to an audience. Uh, it's kind of like, it, 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 there's just this feeling, I can't describe it. Yes. It's, uh, it's almost like the cure you know, it and is, it just makes it you feel, you know, that it's worth worth something. You don't even think about the sales or all that. It's just like you actually, someone like a like a festival said, "Come show your film, we like it," and that is, I think, for filmmakers, is everything. It is. It's such a wonderful you know? feeling. It's it's the yeah. payoff. Of course, we want to be we want to be <laughs> compensated. That's part of our doc lives. Is we need to make a living doing this. But, yeah, but you want to make a living. It's not at the outset. If it is, something. then you shouldn't yeah. be a doc filmmaker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely correct. You know, and it's such a lonely world too because oh. with doc, you know, you're always in this one little room for for months after months after months, just trying to shape something in front of you yeah. to 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 make it coherent and interesting. <laughs> and obviously, most people pretty much do everything themselves and yeah. a small crew. And sometimes there is no, even there's hardly any crew. Right. Right. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a wonderful feeling when you end up going to a festival and showing your film. Absolutely. Now, early on, did, was it, did you feel like you had a sense that the film festival was, was pretty critical for you early on as a doc filmmaker? And then also tell us how that may have, may, maybe that's changed in any way or how that's evolved. Well, yeah, I, I think it, they still festivals are the uh, the gateway into that world because yeah. with docs, 
and you know this very well and, and your listeners too, is that, you know, production companies and studios are not interested in financing or producing docs no. when they're from concepts. It just doesn't happen. Right. You know, and when it happens, it's normally like, you know, maybe you Michael Moore that they will bring you in and say, okay, go do what you need to do. <laughs> so it's always for us is like, it's, you come up with the idea, you shoot, you edit, and then if it gets in a festival and people like it, then you would get a production company interested to release it. So you're on your own yeah. pretty much from the beginning. So you have to kind of dig that as more of a, how to say it, it's, it's almost like it's the reality, but you have to chase and you have to keep going with your project to get it to that point. Mm, always and, a chase. Um, it is a chase. You just have to get it somewhere. So, of course, once a festival responds to your to your film, it also becomes like, do I do I open at that festival or do I say no to that festival mm. and go to this festival? Mm. And, of course, you know, there are always, you know, people are always telling you different things. You have to, again, you go with your instincts. It's like, who gets your film? It's not really about, like, it always has to be Sundance or yeah. it has to, there are so many out there that they're really incredible but it's all about the, the tailored handmade kind of approach yeah. if, because you could go to a big festival and they're just taking you on on top of other films and you're going to get lost in there and no one is going to know about your film mm. so it's almost like its own journey and you have to watch what you're doing and you have to be very careful and you have to be into it and you have to kind of do like with, with, with Melbourne let's say that's really what I liked about them is is that you're always, they tell you where, what's happening. They mm. tell you what they need. They, they get you out there with, with press coverage. They are, you know, uh, very cautious about, you know, the transfer. Are you getting your files transferred correctly? Will it show well? Will it sound well? Uh, you want that from a festival. Yeah. And sometimes you go with a festival, you don't even hear from them. You don't even get a single email uh, except that you're in. Uh, and that's really tricky, you know. It's really tricky, and and I think people need to always like pay attention to that. Not because you went to whatever festival that it's like it's a slam dunk. You yeah. still have to kind of do your homework. It's like it's a whole phase in its own. Yeah, yeah right, right. And 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 when would when would you say you were starting your strategy, your film festival strategy for the current project, Film Worker? Well, it was as soon as I had a rough cut. Yeah. And I looked at the dates, and I saw that you know i knew that like ken was just like already like really near deadline mm. that that was the target i was right away i tried to kind of finish as much as possible yeah. and this is another advice for other people too is people will always tell you just just send it the way it is mm. you know they watch films all the time you'll be fine and and honestly i tell you try to get as much done as much as possible yeah. don't count on that because you know, you have human beings watching a movie, even though they know it's a rough cut. Yes. You still, you just can't, don't just think that because you didn't finish your sound that it's just, can't, they're going to look at it and go, oh, oh, no, but he's not done yet. Try to really finish as much as possible. Right, right. Because it's just for your benefit. <laughs> and a lot of times you see you submit to a festival and you may not get in, but that's not the end of it. It just, you don't know who is watching the film. And sometimes it's not the right festival for you right. to begin with. But we all have this misconception that, like, if you go to a Sundance or you go to Cannes, that your film is going to be sold. Or, like, it's you have to be pay attention to your project. That's what I've learned. Mm. Like, get the elements done, work hard, and get it finished to your satisfaction because nothing is automatic. It's not 
a slam dunk thing that it's just going to happen. Mm. You still have to kind of, you know, do your work. That's right. That's right. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Are you headed to to Melbourne by chance, or will you set this one out? Um, I would love to. I I, I think that there will be a possibility. I've never been there, yeah. and um, and again, I just love their approach. Yeah, it, it sounds uh, like it. it sounds like they're very hands on, and they yeah, um, they're cool. they care about they're their really filmmakers. Cool. Yeah, I, I I you know I I've been in touch with Lyndon for well over a year now, and and yeah. uh, have a fairly good understanding of of how MDFF works and, and who Lyndon is. And, uh, yeah, I think, um, wow. you're spot on about that. Yeah. I think they really care. About yeah. I always, makers. every day I would get an email from Lyndon and it, it's like, it's, it's again, you go, wow. It's that's just like, what a privilege to, you know, because I know they have so many films right? and, and to, to keep up and to stay in touch with the filmmakers and to make sure that they're getting the elements yeah, and to make sure that they're getting coverage. It's not an easy job for a mm. festival, mm. but mm. it's brilliant when the festival cares enough to do it. Yes, yes. And well, and they not, do. Yeah. yeah. And let's not sell, sell yourself short here, pal. Film Worker is a pretty great documentary. And uh, oh, I think thank it's you. it's well-deserved. And uh, I imagine a lot more film festivals are going to fall in line here in quick short thank order. You. And uh, I'm excited to see where, where Film Worker goes for you. Tony, this has really, really been a tremendous conversation. I I would love to have you on the program again, um, talking really uh, so much about. I mean, you really seem like the kind of guy that yeah, you seem like the kind of guy that we can really sit down and talk about about what the doc life is and what that means. I I love what I do, and and I have the soft spot really for for docs and doc filmmakers because they are. It's almost like we're. We're, we're like a cult, it's a crazy cult, <laughs> a passionate, crazy cult. It's true. Um, you love it, you know. Thank you for doing it. And thank you so much for, for being on the documentary Life, Tony. Sure. And uh, we hope to speak with Absolutely. you again My pleasure. sometime. Yeah. Thank you for doing what you do, too, you know. Yeah. We're getting it all out there, so thank you. Hey, before we take leave from today's episode, I want to remind any doc lifers in the Philadelphia area that we'll be coming to Philly in late July and we'll be giving an evening workshop and we'd love to have you attend. The workshop will be on Wednesday, the 25th of July, and we'll be presenting a mini version of our The Documentary Life workshop, which includes the filmmaker's identity and fundamental values, personal and professional finances, lifestyle habits and conscious living, building a support network and the importance of community for the doc filmmaker, organization and planning elements of both doc film and leading a doc life. We'll be following the presentation with a 20-minute Q&A session. Throughout the presentation, we'll be sharing what we've learned from over 80 episodes of the podcast and our combined 25-plus years of working in the film industry. And in addition, we look forward to getting to know our Doc Lifer family a little bit better and connecting face-to-face. Now, for more information, simply go to thedocumentaryacademy.com slash join us. Or, of course, you can head to the show notes for this episode. We would absolutely love to see you there, so book your ticket today. All right, everybody, have a great week, and we'll see you next week for part two of our special on the Documentary Film Festival.